Morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, this morning, we are in Revelation chapter 12 as we continue our series. And I want to begin with a quote, uh, and it's this. Wherever something good is happening, something bad is always trying to stop it. Wherever something good is happening, something bad is always trying to stop it. That quote is from my new uh, all-time favorite show, Yellowstone. If you want to understand any sermon illustration or quote in 2023, I recommend you watch it. All right? you'll, need to, you'll need to get up to speed. Uh, but the quote itself is frighteningly true. Wherever something good is happening, something bad is trying to stop it. The ultimate good that we want in our world, the ultimate good that we know for our world is this. God is bringing His kingdom to bear on the earth. That's what we pray, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the kingdom of God to break through to the earth that the kingdom of God would be seen on the earth. That is the ultimate good. So you can be certain that when good is trying to break through, something bad is trying to stop it. And that something bad is our enemy. And our enemy is Satan. At every opportunity, Satan will try to stop good things, kingdom things happening. I've lost count. I have lost count of the amount of times when something good has happened in church. The kingdom has come in some way that we as leaders almost now start the stopwatch because we know something bad will follow. When something good happens, something bad is trying to stop it, and that is our enemy, Satan. Today's message is hopefully a bit of a wake-up call for us, to be honest. Today's message is hopefully a bit of a wake-up call to take the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in seriously. That we have an enemy. And today we will see who that enemy is, what he's capable of, and how we fight him. Nancy Guthrie in her book, Blessed on Revelation, says this in her intro to chapter 12. She says this, Whether you realize it or not, you have an enemy who is engaged in a war for your soul. His goal is to alienate you from Christ and claim you as His own. It's not that He cares about you. He has no good intentions for you, only to use you in His futile attempts to defeat God. That is his only purpose. We have an enemy, 
His name is Satan, and his only purpose is to defeat God or try to defeat God and his people. That's it. So, what do we see, chapter 12, what do we see in chapter 12 about our enemy, Satan? The first thing is this. We see he is dangerous. He is dangerous. And to some degree, he has some power, and he works to destroy. The first thing we see in chapter 12 is actually he works to destroy Jesus himself. He works to destroy Jesus himself, and then he works to destroy those who belong to Jesus. Verse 3. Let me read this for us. Verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon. Now, for some people, you've maybe heard the great red dragon described as many things. It's not China. All right? Let's just be clear. It's not China. The great red dragon here is Satan. Let's be very clear. It is Satan. And behold, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and seven horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So what we have here is a depiction of Satan. It's actually an image from Daniel 7. Uh, where the prophet Daniel sees four beasts come out of the sea in succession. And this animal that, that is, appears in Revelation 12 seems to be an amalgamation of them all. Daniel 7, 7 says, The fourth beast is terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. In verse 4 here we see the dragon's tail sweeps down one-third of the stars. And whatever else that might signify, it definitely signifies this, that he has some power. He has power. In verse 12, you'll see a voice from heaven cries out, Woe to you, O earth, and see, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And so if Satan is powerful enough to cause woe to the earth and the sea, we can guarantee that he is, to some degree, powerful. Now, what we tend to do is depict the devil as a little, ma little red man with a pitchfork and two horns. And we play about with that image. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a Man United supporter. Uh, obviously, the red devils and all that. A wee man with a pitchfork is on the badge. Uh, great day for us yesterday, can I just add? Great day. Great day all round. We won Derby. Liverpool could be at 3-0. Great day all round. Right. Uh, TJ's raging. <laughs> Move on. But we play around with this image of the devil. And we make little of it. And we make light of it. But he is powerful. And he's not to be messed with. And he's not to be taken lightly. He is powerful to some degree. And what he does, what is depicted here in, in chapter 12, the first thing that he does is that he tries to destroy Jesus. This one who has power is trying to use his power to destroy Jesus. Look at verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she bore a child. He might devour it. 
Right, who's the woman? Diverse are, are described here. We need, we need to look at this for just a second. Stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. The woman here who's about to give birth to this child, the best interpretation that I can come up with is that she is the covenant people of God. The one from which the Savior would be born. The covenant people of Israel. So that is who the woman is. And Satan stands poised at the birth of Christ to what? Destroy him. Destroy him. The point is here that Satan immediately tries to destroy Jesus. He tries to kill him at his incarnation. Although he he does fail in his attempt, we see that. He fails in his attempt, but the very fact that he thinks for one second that he could accomplish this mission shows that he knows that he has power. And to some degree shows the extent of his power. And when Satan fails to destroy Christ, he turns his attention elsewhere. So this means simply this. As we begin out in chapter 12 today, it means we need to recognize and take Satan seriously. He is the enemy of God, and he is the enemy of God's people. And we need to wake up and realize that we are in that fight. If you're a follower of Christ in here, Satan wants to destroy you. He is not to be trifled with. He wants to destroy you. And so, how does he go about this work against God's people? How does he go about destroying us? Because if we want to fight it, we need to see the ways in which he goes about this task. And we're told here in this chapter three ways primarily that Satan goes about the task of destroying God's people. One, we see he is a deceiver, he's a liar. He lies to and deceives God's people. Verse 9 calls him the deceiver of the whole world. He leads people astray. And how we know this is that this has been true from the beginning of time. Satan never really, he's, he's powerful to some extent, but he never really changes strategy. His strategy seems to be the, whole, the, the, the same the whole time. And first of all, he's a deceiver. Look at Genesis chapter 3. We see that clearly. Eve is, Adam and Eve are, are forbidden from eating the fruit. And what does Satan say? Has God really said? Did God really say, don't eat the fruit? You see, Satan is a deceiver, and he is so much more persuasive than any used car salesman that you've ever known, any dodgy sales rep that you've ever known who uses manipulation to get you to buy whatever you need to, what they want you to buy. He is far more persuasive and far more manipulative than that. 
He is a master of deceit. Eve says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So how does he deceive? He deceives simply by casting doubt. He deceives simply by casting doubt. Whilst he is somewhat powerful, as I say, his tactics and strategy haven't really changed. He casts out in Genesis 3 by simply saying, did God actually say that? And that led to the fall of the world. He still does the same today and is still doing the same today. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God actually say that there are only two genders, male and female? Did God actually say that any sexual activity outside marriage between one man and one woman is sin? Did God actually say that? Did God actually say that you have to pay tax? Did God actually say, did, did He actually put gossip in the same list as murder in the Bible? Did God actually say that? Did He actually do that? Did God actually say, listen to this, did God actually say, forgive or you will not be forgiven? Yes, He did. He said all those things. And the trick of Satan today is to say to us, to whisper in our ear, did God actually say that? See the whole, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's a whole trend out there at the minute about deconstruction of our faith. You know, and it's, it's praised as this wonderful thing that if you deconstruct and you go back and you look at everything and you analyze it and blah, 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 and you, you know, it is a lie of Satan. Did God actually say? The lie of Satan is to make you doubt the Word of God. He is a deceiver. Second thing the Bible, chapter 12, tells us here in verse 10, and you will be familiar with this. So Satan's first trick deceives. Satan's second one is that he is the accuser. He is the accuser. Verse 10 tells us he accuses God's people day and night before God. Zechariah 3, actually, there's a really good example of this. If you want to go and read that this afternoon, Zechariah 3, uh, the high priest Joshua stands before God representing the people. He is dressed in filthy rags to represent the people's sin. And right beside him stands Satan, accusing God's people of sin. Go and read that account this afternoon. Satan is the one who stands and points out all our sin to God. He repeats it again and again. He says to God, they deserve punishment. 
Look at them. Look at what they are. Look at what they do. Look at what they think. Look at what they say. They deserve your wrath. He is our accuser. He stands day and night and tells God, I don't know if you like the thought of this, but Satan stands day and night and tells our Father how guilty and how sinful you are. And what's his goal in doing that? Because he does it to our Father and he does it to us. Do you know that wee voice in your ear or in your head that tells you how guilty you are and tells you how undeserving of the grace of God you are and tells you how, how rotten you actually are? By the looks of your faces, I'm the only one that hears that voice. Uh, 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 like daily. That is Satan. That does not come from our Father. That is Satan whispering in your ear. If you want to do it, depict him as that little uh, red man with the thing, the pitchfork on your shoulder, whispering into your ear, accusing you of your sin. He does it day and night. He is the accuser of the brothers. That's what he is. That's who he is. Why does he do this? Why? What's his goal? Well, the first goal in deceiving us is to get us to doubt God's Word. The second goal in accusing us is to render us completely ineffective. It is to render us completely ineffective and unproductive in the Christian life because he wants to riddle you with guilt and paralyze you with fear. Because when you hear that voice, when you hear that little voice in your head saying, who the blazes do you think you are to be telling anyone about Jesus? That's Satan. And that little voice will just be enough to keep your mouth closed. Yes? Who are you? Do you not remember what you said half an hour ago? Even when you're in here, folks, that first worship set, and we're singing, and Satan dances on up onto your shoulder and says, do you remember the row you had on the way here? Do you remember this morning when you got out of bed and you were grumpiest, get out and you said that thing that you shouldn't have said? How can you stand there and how can you worship? That's Satan. That is Satan. That is not our Father. That is the devil himself. And he uses our sinful past to disable us. So Satan first deceives, then he accuses. And then if he's not successful with that, he turns to a different attack method. And that is that he simply just does what he can to attack God's people. That is what we see here uh, in, at, at the end of chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. Satan pursues and persecutes the woman. 17, uh, we see this a furious escape that the woman has to make 
uh, as he makes war on her offspring and to those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What again we're seeing here is Satan just basically persecuting the church and persecuting God's people. Again, it's not clear. It's not, there's so many different interpretations about who the woman is. Again, I tend to go with it is the true remnant, the, the Old Testament Israel, the covenant people of God. But the one thing that is clear is this. Satan persecutes God's people. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, just in case we're, just in case we're unaware. Your adversary, the devil, if you're in here and you're a follower of Christ, and can I just say at this point, if you're not a follower of Christ, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If you're not a follower of Christ, the Bible calls you an enemy of God. So you're lined up alongside Him. Let me be clear. This is what Peter says. Your adversary, he's talking about the church, Christians, followers of Christ. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Let me pause, not in the notes, let me pause just and ask, are you being devoured? Are you currently being devoured? Is Satan working on you? Is Satan attacking you right now? Peter says, resist him. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Notice the encouragement there, folks. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. Brothers and sisters in here, you're not on your own. Brothers and sisters throughout the world they're not on their own. Satan is going after the church. So what we see is this. He has some power. He is dangerous. He's like a dragon. He's like a lion. He is our enemy. He can deceive. He can accuse. And he directly attacks and harms the church. So be aware. Be on your guard. Resist him. He is not to be taken lightly. But praise God, that is not the only lesson that we see in Revelation chapter 12. Yes, we see his dangers. Yes, we see he causes harm. Yes, we see that he attacks the church, but we also see that he is defeated. He is defeated. Right. I've been working on this for a long time. I saw this, and I knew my time would come, right? And it's here, right? So this is it. This, this is it. Satan ain't nothing but a snake. 
He's nothing but a snake, right? And the thing about snakes is that they have no arms and they have no feet because Satan has been disarmed and defeated. <laughs> Shut your mouth! That's been coming for months. Saw it on TikTok. It's unreal. We're done. Back in, right? He has been disarmed and defeated. Right. But he has, though, seriously. I, I'm not going to get it back. I'm not going to. Come on, Joe. Right. Again, in our text, John shows us clearly that Satan is defeated and frustrated. And in most cases, he is defeated and frustrated by God himself. He is defeated and frustrated by God himself. Verse 5, Satan waits to devour, devour Jesus, the, the, and the child is caught up to safety at God's throne. Verse 6, the woman is able to escape from Satan to the wilderness, a place prepared for her where she is nourished. Interesting to note, wilderness, when we think of wilderness, we often can think of like, you know, somewhere a forest or, or somewhere, or maybe even we do think like more biblical terms of like, you know, dry, arid place, but we think of danger. We think of danger. Biblically, the wilderness is not a place of danger. The wilderness is not a place of danger. It is a place of protection. It has its challenges, yes, but it is a place where God's people can get away from worldly threats and temptations. We see it in the story of Elijah. Elijah, where does Elijah flee to when he's trying to get away from Jezebel? He flees to the wilderness because he knows there he has safety, actually. Jesus himself spends 40 days in the wilderness before beginning his public ministry. And so the woman is, is, is whisked away here to the wilderness where she is, as, scripture, as the Bible tells us here, she is nourished. Nourished. Verse 12 indicates Satan power, it's Satan's power, but it also shows us the limits of his power. Let me read it. Rejoice, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Even there we see that the devil's time is limited. God has put a limit on it, and that, that will come to an end. The time where he can use his power will come to an end. Verse 14, as Satan pursues, persecutes the woman, she is given the wings of an eagle. Again, this is another picture of deliverance. It's an image uh, from the Old Testament again. Remember after God's people, uh, the people of Israel are, are fleeing from the Egyptian army. God says this in Exodus 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out myself. God rescues His people from this trial. And so what we see in, in chapter 12 is, yes, that Satan himself is powerful to an extent. He will have power for a certain time, but it is limited, and ultimately he has been defeated. Look at verse 12 again, speaking of our brothers, those accused by Satan. 
and they conquered him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So they defeated Satan, they conquered Satan. And you might say, right, okay, John, that's all well and good. I can see how God Himself and the angels can defeat and, and, and defend themselves against Satan. I can see that. That's, that's okay. But He is powerful. He throws down stars. How on earth could I conquer Him? I understand how God and His angels can defend Himself and conquer them, but I don't understand how I can, because at the end of the day, He's the one that accuses us. He knows our weakness. He knows where we are. How can I conquer Him? The Greek word here, translated conquer, is, is often translated overcome. Overcome. Do you remember the you maybe remember from the time we did the letters to the churches, Jesus continually used this refrain, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes. To the one who conquers, I will grant the tree of life. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar of the temple of my God. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. What does it mean for us to overcome? What does it mean for us to conquer? Well, the reality is that we're all in this fight. And instead of looking at the big cosmic picture of Satan's attacks, what about we all just play our own part in defeating and defending ourselves against Satan, which will play a part in the overall defeat of Satan? What about if we take seriously our fight against Satan and his temptations? What if we individually resist his temptations? What if we, through the power of the Spirit and by the blood, defeat Satan and overcome Satan in our own lives? That will in itself play a part in the big picture of his ultimate demise. I want you to see exactly how we conquer Satan. This is if, apart from my obviously wonderful joke, uh, this is if I had a handheld mic, I would drop it moment, all right? You want to know how to defeat Satan? No? All right. I'm on my own. Again. Uh, you want to know how to defeat Satan in your life. Let me just show you, because the Bible tells us. By the blood of the Lamb. It's really simple, isn't it? It's not complicated. By the blood of the Lamb. That's how we're told. We defeat Satan not by ourselves, not by any positive self-talk, not by any self-help books, not by any be positive in 2023 talks, but 
by the blood of the Lamb. So Satan accuses you saying you're guilty. You'll never be forgiven. You're just dirt. You are rotten to the core. We respond with, yes, I am. Yes, I am. But the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cleanses me from all sin. Amen? We conquer by the blood of the Lamb, the one who deceives, the one who accuses. We, cl- we call the blood of Jesus over ourselves, and we say, we have the victory. We have the victory. We need to remind ourselves that just as, in, in, as Joshua did in Zechariah 3, God has taken away our filthy clothes and has covered us with the righteousness of Christ by His blood. It is as simple as that. As we close today, I want us to remember those things. I definitely want us to remember how Satan attacks us, because we need to know. He deceives. Did God really say? He accuses. He says, you're rotten. You'll never be anything. God could never accept you. Or He just goes after us in different ways, whatever He decides at the time. I want us to remember those things. I want us to remember that, and no doubt you will, He is disarmed and He is defeated. Of course, you'll remember that now. But uh, I want you to remember that. But as we close today, I want us to do this. I want you to think about your sin. I want you to think about your sin. I want you to ponder for a moment all the ammunition Satan has got to throw at God because of you. And he's got loads. Trust me. He has enough on me just today. to condemn me to an eternity in hell. And he's probably saying right now, God, do you know what? Take a look at that John Irvine. Up there, spouting about the Bible and about God. And you saw what he thought earlier. And you saw and you heard what he said yesterday. And you know him and you know how rotten he is. And I think in my simple mind, if that conversation is happening right now, God the Father simply says, Satan, big fella, do you remember the cross? Do you remember the cross where my beautiful, perfect son bled and died for John Irvine? 
And because my son bled and died for him, your condemnation means nothing. And then I like to think, God reads Romans 8 verse 1 to Satan. And he says this, therefore, listen to these words, folks. Listen to these words. Before you take communion today, burn these words into your brains and into your hearts. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None, not a smidge. Satan, stick it. I like to think God puts that wee bit on. If you're in Christ today, that's your position. Satan can do all he wants. Satan can attack. Satan has power. Satan does all he wants, but there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Let me pray first. Father, oh, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it is good news to sinners like us. Thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all iniquity and makes us whiter than snow. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you would protect them. I pray even now as we worship, as we think about communion, that if we hear those voices, that voice of Satan, we will be able to resist because of the blood of the Lamb. And we will be able to give you all the glory and all the honor for everything that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.